This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, Kyle and I have... Mr. Alex Toller from St. Louis, Missouri with us. What's up, Alex? What's going on, guys? What's happening? Not much. Looks like your view's not that great, though, man. I mean, beautiful outside. You have a window? There you go. Okay. Got nice. that there so I can just kind of turn the head and look on out. Yeah, look, unfortunately, that is like mermaids trying to entice me off the bow of a boat on a Friday afternoon when the weather looks like that. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. It's been like San Diego weather this last week, and it's like it's it's one of those weird weeks of August where we get that really it's going to be probably 100 degrees next week. But it's it's gorgeous. San Diego. (laughs) I had never been to San Diego, and when I went out for innovation this year, it was a good time, man. I, I It's interesting because I've heard people before refer to San Diego as like the Tampa of the West. It was hmm, interesting. Yeah. I had never heard anybody say that, and then everybody said it after I had been there. But I feel like I, it's got to be better than Tampa. I don't know, man. It was really weird because I, I checked into a hotel and went into my room, and I'm like looking out. And I'm like, this kind of feels like home. Hmm. It was weird. Just I, like, land, like landscape-wise? like Yeah. Like, yeah, you got the bay there, and you know it was yeah. it was kind of like being over there at uh, maybe like Rocky Point or someplace like that yeah. in Tampa. Yeah, yeah. Is what it reminded huh. me of. But Mexican food, Mexican food was far superior. Far. Oh, I would imagine so. <laughs> and I, we were supposed to be in San Diego last week, actually, for a conference, and well, obviously that all got canceled or whatever else. It was like a a year advanced trip, and it was exciting. So we were going to take a week prior to. Yeah, conference to go actually enjoy it and see some family in Irvine and everything else. Thanks, like, COVID. Not traveling. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, you know. In I was hell bent on going to Key West when they opened up the Keys again, and having gone down there and experienced the pure just delight of walking down Duval Street with a mask on one hundred percent of the time, not happening again for me for a while. Yeah, it's like those idiots that put on those masks to run. 
the oxygen oh, restriction yeah. mask. Okay. Like the football players do it. Yeah. yeah. That's what I felt like walking down Duval Street. I was trying to get to all of the places I wanted to go, and I was going to pass out from trying to breathe <laughs> by the time I got there. It just, it was crazy. Uh, well, listen, Alex, good. we always ask everybody. I know a little bit of your backstory, but tell them kind of. What's what, your deal? Yeah. What's your deal, man? What led you into insurance? Well, let me into insurance. All right. So. I've kind of grew up knowing I wanted to work for myself. Parents, dad, dad manages stores and then mom is in sales. And uh, so I was kind of exposed to business, both hardworking people and uh, was around a lot of their friends who were either in some form of sales or business owners, et cetera. And I saw that they had time was something that they had on their side all the time. What I didn't realize they were working in the background, but it was, it was just like, Oh, like, why is that guy home at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon? It's because he has the ability to. And so uh was exposed to that. And then I guess it was 2010 was when I was leaving for school and a good friend of mine had just graduated from the same college. I went to Missouri state university in Springfield, Missouri, and a uh, good friend of mine had just graduated finance degree and couldn't find a job. Nobody in, was hiring finance degrees in 2010 and he was like hey i was going to go there for um for accounting was what i was going to declare as pretty much just learn the numbers behind i didn't want to go work for an accounting firm i just wanted to learn more about accounting to transition to whatever type of business i wanted to get into later and he was like hey you need to look into this risk management and insurance department they've got over here because everybody there has four job offers <laughs> had, had, had like four job offers a piece in 2010 coming out of school and he's like the rest of us in this finance department, most of us can't find a job, but these insurance guys all had opportunities. And so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll check out the program. And so I started in uh, that program. And then uh, while I was in school, I ended up underwriting for American national doing personal lines, underwriting probably the worst job you could ever have <laughs> in the insurance business. Like, like houses that we would see today, I would, I would look at perfect risk. I was like nitpicking the hell out of it. Like, oh, there's not a handrail and three steps over here. So I'm going to go ahead and send a uh, declaration or cancellation letter out to uh, the agent and the yeah. insurer. They, they've got to like put this, put this handrail out because you get three steps and everything else. And uh, then they, there'd be these crap houses that would come through, but they would fit all of our underwriting guidelines and be like, all right, we're going to approve this one. And it's just like, okay. I, I just I couldn't do it any longer. The same uh, agent, the same agent got the declination and the approval, and he's like, "Who is this clown in the underwriting department? Would you stick a <laughs> college kid back there?" Oh, exactly. They did pay me nine bucks an hour. What what more could you ask for? Like, oh well, it, you could you could be a workers' comp auditor today if you're willing to work for nine an hour. Oh yeah, it it, it was it was hilarious because I I started thinking about it. I was like, I'm doing all this work of of this underwriter of these underwriters or whatever else. And uh, like it, it was really efficient for them. But uh, so I did that for a year and a half uh, and knew that I underwriting was not what I wanted to do. And yeah. so I went and uh, was an HR slash risk management intern for a company called SRC Holdings out of Springfield, Missouri. Just did that for three months, but it's a major manufacturing firm. There's 12 or 13, I think they have like 13 facilities today. Most of them are in Springfield and, uh, I was in their main corporate office with like 12 other people and uh, it was cool getting to go on the risk tours of the manufacturing facilities, kind of seeing how they did everything. They had a handful of their facilities were over a million hours since their last uh, 
injury and different things like that. So they ran a really tight ship and really good, good business. Uh, Jack Stack, the owner of SRC or the founder of SRC, he was one of the first to implement kind of open book management. And he's got a couple books on open book management. And he also was one of the first, like, wasn't a founder of the ESOP programs, but he was, he's really excelled through having ESOP. And so it was cool seeing a business owner who gave, showed his employee, he wanted his employees to know, hey, how's business, how's business going? He wanted the numbers to be out there where everybody knew if you were just some guy on the line that you you're making an impact because if you can get 70 of these units out a day and we're selling 70 of these units a day, like you're going to have a job next week uh, type thing. Because uh, he bought it in the 80s during all the big crisis of um, oh, interest rate crisis and everything else of that nature. And so it was cool getting that three month experience. And while I was doing that, uh, a buddy of mine was working for a State Farm agent, and they needed somebody to come cold call. So I started cold calling in the evenings for State Farm, uh, and that parlayed into customer service, and then ultimately ended up doing sales for him for a year after I graduated, waiting for my now wife to uh, graduate college. Kind of nice year. Got to spend an extra year in the college town and uh, live with all my buddies and uh, still work and get my feet wet in insurance. I'm sorry. Uh, I just pictured you looking like Matthew McConaughey and dazed and confused when you said, when you said hanging out in the college town, you you were already out of school, man. That's a line that's been drawn at that point. So the funny, it's, it's funny because uh, be a lot cooler if you did <laughs> love them redheads, love them redheads. <laughs> Think about them high school girls. I keep getting older. They keep staying. The same <laughs> <age>. <laughs> Uh, we so, just gave every every line from the movie except for every single the four one. Good ones. Uh, and so I, anyway, I, I, it was funny in my uh, class that I rushed with in the fraternity or whatever. I was one of three people that graduated within four years. And so all of my buddies were still down in, at school. Um, and it, so it made for a fun year. It's like, oh, I actually have a little bit of money now. Um, if you didn't know, Springfield, Missouri is like the second cheapest place to live in the country. Dude, if you had any money at all, you were like a millionaire to your college buddies with the job. Oh, it was incredible! Like a thirty, I, I could go like pick up like a forty dollar bar tab on a Friday night, and they're like, "Holy cow, like that, that's insane!" Uh, Alex, you're a king. Alex is rolling, popping bottles on Friday nights. Oh yeah, it's awesome. I miss miss old Springfield, but anyways, I worked for that state farm agent for a year and uh, doing sales, and I quickly kind of realized that this isn't what where I want to be. I mean, it was, it's just chalk risk and it was just churn and burn. Get cold, call as many personal lines, people write the policy, whatever else sticks, try selling life insurance was not a fan of selling life insurance at 23 years old. Um, and knew that I didn't want to do that. But I, I also noticed we started referring a bunch of business to independent agents for commercial work. And it's like that, that the money's there. And uh, I had some people talking to me about becoming a state farm agent or whatever. And I, I looked at the compensation structure and then I realized that also you don't own your book of business. Um, you're taking all the risk. You don't own the book of business. And oh, by the way, in order to achieve certain levels of compensation, you got to sell a bunch of life, do a bunch of banking, et cetera. And it's like, well, why can't I go on the other side where the guy's getting paid his 15% with zero quota and zero, um, no other lines of business that you have to write. And uh, so I ended up working for a friend of that state farm agent. I worked for, he 
let me sell for him as an independent when I moved back to St. Louis. Um, did that for about a year and a half. And they're just, I was referring a bunch of business to a buddy of mine because I kept losing some accounts off to carriers I didn't have. And so whenever I would get people would say, hey, we'd like you to quote our business, whatever else, I would I'd call my buddy up and be like, hey, I'm quoting this risk. They've given me approval, like to give you the information as well. And we would just compare our carriers to each other and he would present or I would present depending on who had the better proposal. And uh, ultimately his his boss called me and they're like, hey, why don't you come over to DeWitt where I'm at now? Um, and so I've been here with DeWitt just over four, right at four years. And uh, things are good on the book of business. Ended up buying my buddy out two years in. Um, and uh, things are proceeding well. And uh, it, it's a great situation. Had a lot of carrier access. Um, pay is really very high commission structure and there's uh there's nobody telling you what to do what to write etc so i get to go after what type of business i want to write and if i don't feel like selling stuff for a month i don't have to sell stuff for a month because there's nobody breathing down my neck it's you eat what you kill so that's my insurance story so i'm one of the few that's been in it since pretty much day one Dude, like you literally have done everything in insurance except yeah. for maybe adjust claims as far as I can tell. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, Alex really has a lot of experience in working for as young as he is. And then I remembered we interviewed Ryan Keating. Oh, dude. <laughs> who is like the for- who is like the forest gump of the insurance <laughs> world because this guy has literally done everything. It, it's crazy. Yeah. He's a good it, dude, man. I like Ryan a lot, but we were, we were busting his chops when he was on. Cause he just kept going about like this guy he probably worked 15 places before he got into insurance. Yeah. It's, at yeah, least it, it's crazy. I, so I work for, uh, my dad is running car washes pretty much mine. I'm, I'm a third generation. I could be a third generation car washer if I wanted to. Um, and so I worked in the car wash business all through high school and early on in college, just, drying cars and vacuuming cars out or whatever and uh work for my dad and i think that's where a lot of my kind of like work ethic and things come from as well is just and customer service ability i think came from that it's uh sure you, you knew what people people wanted a clean car they expected it done quickly and they wanted a clean car and then you had to talk to them or whatever else and that was one of the few times where the customer was always because it's like okay hey you missed a spot here or whatever can you dry it off for me and if you listen to them they paid you more they tipped you more and right. uh, so that was enjoyable business to be. In. They hate they hate taking the antennas off though. I can tell you that. Oh yeah, they hate they hate taking the antennas off to keep them from getting damaged. There's a million disclaimers, but they hate to. Now we don't have that issue anymore. Do they even put no. antennas on cars? I think they're built into. No, the they're like the or that yeah, little dorsal fin on the back. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's a little fin and everything else. And I think now, like they've got um, the car washes, they've got all the signs now. Let's say pretty much like if your car's over ten years old and anything happens to it here. Sorry, dude. You're sorry, you're on the hook. We we have um, these places down here that have like a monthly subscription for like thirty or forty bucks, and it's a three minute car wash, and then you pull around and you vacuum it out and everything. And dude. to me, it's worth it. Like I hit that thing oh. once or twice a week. Well, when I have so, my car, I could go into that story if we wanted to. But I just save everybody. I just th- I just thought of a, a car wash story that I had. So um, the last vehicle that I had when I first got it. Um, I had had it for like, I don't know, maybe like a week and a half or two. I'm like, all right, I need to you know get this bad boy rinsed. So I, so I hit this car wash up on the way back to my office. This is, these are the quill days. So 
I'm sitting in there waiting for, it, it was one where you kind of, you give them the keys and they drive it through the, you know, um, like the automated thing and dry it off, do whatever else you want done to it. So I'm sitting in there and it's been like longer than I would think that this would take. And after a while, a guy walks in and he's like, um, he's like, Hey, uh, is, is yours the, the white Sonata? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's me. He's like, he's like, um, sorry, sir, but the, the we we popped one of the tires. I'm like, no. I'm like, what? I thought he was joking at first. He's like, oh, okay, cool, man. Um, how much <laughs> owe you? And, and so he's like, yeah. And then he started continue. He's like, I don't know how this has never happened before. I'm like, oh shit, you're serious. So I go outside, and sure enough, it's on the ground. I'm like, what the hell happened, man? He's like, that you know, they were just driving in, and they like they hit the the ramp the wrong way, and it just popped. I've never seen it before. I'm like, yeah, what me are you either, like driving fifty. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, how fast were you going? And, and so it's like your wife so then, handling the, the, the <laughs> dog gate. <laughs> so I'm like, well, okay. He's like, well, let's go to Walmart or get you a new tire. I'm like, all right. So I, so I jump in the, in the owner's like van or whatever he had. And we're, we're cruising to Walmart, get to Walmart. They don't have the same tires that I have. He's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll get you this one. I go, mm, no, bro. I'm not, I'm not having one weird tire and three of the normal tires and so I, it'd I was be like, so much cooler if you did <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, I hit up this place that was like down the street it, this was an old so i'm familiar with the area i grew up there and so i hit up this this shop and you know get in there and the guy's like we don't have any on hand i'd have to call this dealership and have it sent and uh how is that it, not I mean, a standard size tire it wasn't the size. It was the brand. It, they were just Kumo tires. It wasn't anything crazy. Like I, they were just, but I wanted all the same ones. So this guy starts getting pissy with me, the owner of this business um, inside of the new shop. And, and he's like, you know, yelling at me. Like he, he, I mean, he was, I don't remember where he was from, but English was not his first language. And I like, I lost my shit. Like I flipped out on him and this other person's business and they're they, like, they had customers in there and, and I'm like, so I, I left, I'm like outside. I'm like, dude, I, I hit, I like hit up number the, one. How were you getting back to the car wash? If you rode with the guy that you were going off on, I didn't leave. I went outside. This was pissed. I, I hit up the big cat. I'm like, dude, you'll never believe, but this is, this is what I'm dealing with right now. And, and then, so I went back in the business and I, like, I, I apologized to the owner that, of that business. I'm like, look, man, sorry, but like this guy just really pissed me off. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not taking some random tire. He's like, I totally get it. Like, you know, no worries. And by the way, so, do you happen to sell copy paper? Cause I'm in need. Yeah, you want some, uh, <laughs> Dude. So, so yeah, I'll wrap this up, but I get, I, so <laughs> I get back in the car with, with the, the owner and we're driving back and I'm fuming and, and I'm like, look, man, I, I like, I'm going to need to get this in writing that you're going to get this fixed. So we get back to his place and, and I had to go to this other dealership to get it fixed. And they, he ultimately ended up paying for it, but whew, I was hot. That's when I wish that I could port my little brother from third grade in and just whack him in the shins as hard oh, as I can. <laughs> just kick him right in the shins. He was so uh, fat too. He would have fallen over. My all time favorite. So now we're going to go into tire stories, huh? This is a good yeah. one. And I'll make it very quick. I just had a buddy in college whose theory on tires was that they were a disposable item. He was literally driving on four space saver spares. And when one of them 
one of them went out, he'd just go down to the tire place and buy another one for like 15 or 20 bucks and bolt it on. He was literally driving around town with the four skinny tires on his car, literally for the two and a half years I was there. Who like I've literally I've never heard of someone taking that approach. Like who thinks that? I don't know. He runs a very successful financial planning practice today. So it maybe has something something to do with it. But uh, anyhow. So listen, talk a little bit, Alex. I mean, the, the situation you're in, you touched on it, but it, it's a little bit unique in that you own your book, right? But you don't own the agency. Correct. You know, on on how that's set up. And I'm sure there's plenty of other people who listen to or listen to the podcast that either do that or have considered or are considering doing something that like that, you know, obviously we don't need financial details or things like that, but just talk a little bit about the relationship and how that works in, in ownership and all of that. No, yeah. And so actually it's it, the way we're set up. Um, I've talked to some other guys out of, out of town um, St. Louis market. It tends, there's a handful of agencies who, big agencies too, who are set up with a similar practice. Well, yeah, because I talked to, uh, what's that guy's name? Brian, uh, Reisinger. Yeah. He's working at somebody else. He's a crane and there are a hundred plus agents who are all set up the same way. And he he was saying it was the same thing is what I got. Yeah. That's what I got. Uh Okay. And so what we have here is, uh, agency gets all the contracts. So I've got every carrier under the sun minus two or three, um, that you'd like to write availability. Uh, they provide our management system. So we're an applied, uh, is our management system. So that's, a, that's set up for us, all of our back end accounting. So anytime commission reports, anything else, anything like that comes in, they take care of all of that. We do our own billings, but then they actually, we, we bill it into the system and they reconcile all the reports, um, and then send out our commission statement, things of that nature, uh, daily download, things of that nature. They take care of all of that and send us an email in the morning of here's everything that came through last night that's downloaded into the system. Um, and so, it, I mean, they take care of a ton of backend support for us to really where it sets us up to where we can grow and build our own teams inside of the agency. And it's, you, you have your contracts are there. So I think it's one of the biggest things that you don't worry about contracts getting canceled on you for lack of volume with a particular carrier. Um, it's a good and a bad thing because it's like, Hey, like I've got so much broad, like broadband of what I can and can't write. Like you get these little one-off type things or whatever else. And it's like, Oh yeah, I have a carrier that can, can do that. And so you kind of find yourself like a gun club. The other is I just have come across my desk or whatever. It's a couple thousand dollar revenue account. And it's like, Oh yeah, we, we've actually got an admitted market that will write, hmm. but it's, I'm not going to be going out after a ton of gun clubs, but it's, right. I know we have a market, so I'll actually spend the time on it. And sometimes it takes you away from going after what our focus business is, but it's, it's really good set up relationship. Um, the commission splits are very, I won't give a number, but the commission splits are very high and we own our book hundred percent to where we can sell it. Um, I'm actually getting ready to enter into a contract with another one of our agents uh, to purchase his book here in 2023. Like he's, he's setting up his, that's planning ahead of time. Oh, yeah. But the whole idea is that I'm actually going to end up moving into his office and we're going to work on a deal because he's like, I don't have time to cross sell. Mike, he's 65 years old. He's like, I don't have time to cross sell. He's, he's got people he's wrote for 15 years that he still doesn't write. He's $150,000 policy, but he still doesn't write the work comp for him 15 years later. He's like, I just haven't taken the time to cross sell it. Like, 
might as well put it in your lap for you to go write that. It's crazy. Uh, and then a bunch of all the leads that he's got coming in, we're, we're going to work something out as well. And so it's nice that we've got this group that one, we can lean on for questions, but two, when it's time to like, if I wanted, if I want to exit the business in five years, there's somebody within the group that will pay me a fair market value for my book and business and I can walk away. So is that something contractually that when you signed up with them, that they basically had it lined out that DeWitt or another agent inside of DeWitt would have first right of refusal on your book if you chose to sell it? Ironically, I really don't know if that's in my contract or not. It's where I would go and at least look for a fair offer. And one of the good things about us is there's 12 or 13 agents within the group and um, everything's fair. It's we no, not there's, I don't know if there's necessarily not compete, but if I wanted to walk, I could take my book and leave with 30 day notice because it's one of those things. If you don't want to be here, we don't want you here. We don't want to have you. We don't want to put the handcuffs on you because we want the relationship to be beneficial on both sides and don't want to create any animosity, things of that nature where people are mad at each other or you just have friction with man- the management group. Um, and so we can, we can leave if we want to, but it's, it, and that's why I think I enjoy being here is because there's the, um, we are all on the same page and it, it, everything was kind of leveled up front. I mean, three rules here, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie. And if you do, don't do those three things, you're going to be taken care of. And so I don't know if I'm, if I even have the ability to sell outside of the group or not, but I know there's plenty of people here that would pay me what is fair market value on a book of business. Do you have the ability to participate in profit sharing and all of that stuff? We don't do profit sharing. Um, So that's one thing I don't get to participate in. I think one or two of the bigger agencies in town have like, if you have to have substantial revenue, Uh, I'm thinking maybe North of seven figures before high six figure revenue before they'll let you participate in um, profit share. And I guess the kicker for a lot of them is, is I know that they're capped a little bit less than we are on what our commission split is. Um, I guess one of the good things that we do have though, is, is that our buying power, we get higher commission for some carriers and things of that nature that helps out as well. Well, yeah. But the other thing too is, I mean, you're still getting a percentage of the revenue that flows. So it makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't think that it's, you, you have a bad deal that you can't have profit sharing. They need to make profit somewhere. And if they're paying you high splits and doing everything that they said they would do for you, it doesn't sound like too raw of a deal to me at, at all. I mean, it sounds like it's a good deal. And even if you, even if they, um, you know, do get profit sharing, that's not something that's guaranteed. You know, oh, yeah. they're, they're still taking a gamble that they're going to be able to manage mm-hmm. the book and hit contingency to the level that it'll pick up, it'll increase that spread between, you know, what's been brought in and what, what they've paid out. So yeah, I would, yeah, I've, I've done the math on it and it's just like, you know what? Yeah. It's uh, they, they're, I'm sure they're working on some slimmer margin. They are working on slimmer margins on the top. And so, I mean, it, it, it works out well. It's, there's really good people in the organization. I actually work out of the corporate office. Um, there's three of us here uh, <laughs> to uh, like a CFO, a staff accountant, and then myself. Um, and president actually, he is, uh, in one of our other offices and our CEO actually lives down there in Tampa. So. Oh, interesting. It's, uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, huh. Well, that, that's a good setup though. I mean, I think it, it goes to show, you know, there's no real answer for the best way to no. run an agency. Right. Because I think my way is the best and it may be the best for me, but they've obviously figured out, uh, you know, a way to do it that, there, but that serves them better. I probably wouldn't do that, 
but doesn't mean it's not right. And that's the whole thing. I mean, that's what I would, I, I think that our industry gets bogged down sometimes with people getting in pissing matches about who's raised ways the correct way. When at the end of the day, they're both correct. It's, it's just a matter of what works for you. As my, my, my dad's always said, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Like it's just how you want to go about it. And, and you see people complain or argue about, Oh, here's how we're going to do pay and it's like i i know what your structure is and everything else and it's like okay it's because david's looked at the numbers from this regard but somebody else is looking at the numbers from a different way i think at the end of the day as long as you're profitable isn't that the goal of business is to be profitable that's why i don't understand why these people take so much time arguing about stuff like that because (laughs) that's definitely not profitable like if if i wanted to only have like a two hundred thousand dollar revenue book where i have minimal maintenance and i can clear 150 a year or I have a million dollar book. I understand, I understand the balance sheet aspect of things and what you can sell for down the road. But as far as day-to-day headaches of, okay, I've got a million, $2 million worth of revenue, but I've got people I've got to manage now on top of it. It's, it's what some of those things that you got away sometimes. It's like, do you want these headaches? Or do you want something that you can manage yourself with one person? Um, right. And it, it, it all comes down to what your preference is. I personally want to grow a book and grow a staff and things of that nature. Um, but I can see where others might only want to write enough business. I mean, hell, you could have thirty ten thousand dollars revenue accounts and maybe have one account manager helping you out. You're doing just fine. Yep. It, it, you're not going to get that sale value, but I mean, you can save for retirement in different ways as well. And if if you have thirty accounts, there's plenty of free time for you to still go out and do things that you enjoy. Um, it's uh, I, I look at it from multi, multi aspects. And I think, I mean, the insurance business it allows us a lot of time freedom. It's mm-hmm. yeah, definitely office phone rings to my cell phone. It, it, yep. it so same uh, actually, I'm actually going to be in the office a little late on a Friday, but, um, I, we're going to the lake this weekend. And yeah, exactly. But then, I mean, there, then there's times where you get in a little bit late too. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't, there's, there's times where I'm, I'm sitting here working on deals at 8 PM on a Thursday, Friday, whatever day it is. And that's just kind of, you know, that's, that's what you sign up for. If you're doing it right, you, you know, you can, oh, yeah. you can have that balance and, and you know that, um, you know, you're not, you don't have to be the person that shows up every single day at, at seven and is working until whatever time, like, you know, you show up, you get your stuff done and you help out your clients when they need help. It's, you know, they kind of dictate things. Oh, certainly. And I think that's the thing is like, I see myself some days, like just not sitting here, but it's like, okay, you, you cold call or whatever else or, but then you got like a little two hours like downtime after you're done with like your prospecting for the day, you're done with your activities. It's like I can leave, but then ultimately somebody's gonna call you at 4 30, 4 45. Like, hey, oh, yeah, it always happens. Else. And, and it's all good. But I mean, I, my first phone call was 7 a.m. Second largest client yeah. in my book of business was calling me. And got to answer. Then you got to answer. He's, in, he's a contractor. Guy gets yeah. up at 4 a.m. every day. Right. There's and, obviously a reason he's calling. I mean, he's yeah. not gonna, especially if he's your second biggest client or whatever. But I, I, I also find that a lot of times where the downtime is, is I'm sitting, I'm, I'm waiting on getting stuff back. Like I'm waiting on hearing, you know, back from an underwriter or I'm waiting on getting a piece of information from the insured or a prospect to get to underwriting. So, I mean, that, that plays a, a role in some of the downtime too, but I, I am interested if there was anything that you learned while you were doing the underwriting for um, the, the personal line stuff that you have been able to apply, um, you know, as, as a producer? I, I would say, I, I guess from the underwriting side, what I learned, it go after clean risks. I, I think 
as an agent, we do need to be under, even if it's a home and auto, we mm-hmm. need some semblance of upfront. I mean, that's part of the reason why we're getting paid by the carrier. It's sure. business, but it's also to do a little bit of upfront underwriting. And I mean, there were definitely times where there was just blatant, like how the heck, like, because American National required the agents to submit photos to okay. of, of the houses. And so there were times where they'd be taking photos and it was just like blatant stuff that was against the underwriting guidelines. And they were also, you're, they were also a captive. And so it's not like the agent didn't understand what the underwriting guidelines were. And so for me, it's a matter of, it was a matter of like getting to know what, um, what kind of risk you're getting into. I mean, if, if anything, at least pull a thing up on Google Street View. You should be able to get a picture of it within the last two years and just give you an idea of what, what you're getting yourself into. Um, mm-hmm. Google Earth can pretty much give you what the roof looks like from within the last six months. Uh, right. Get an idea. And so that was the biggest thing. I, I only did the homeowners. They only, I never underwrote the auto side. Um, I left there before they trained me on that. That seems even more miserable than the homeowners. Oh. Side. Looking at MVRs all day. Uh <laughs> Right. So, honestly, what I actually I learned the most was I, so I was well, I was in school for risk management and insurance. That degree was heavily commercial. We had like a personal lines like two weeks on personal lines insurance, and then it was all it, a lot of it was CPCU CPCU type courses that we were going through in school. And I pretty much blew them off because I'm like everything I'm learning in this class doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. These classes is not applying to what I'm doing in the I'm working in the industry. Right. It doesn't apply. Then here I go get my CIC and I'm like, damn, I really wish I would have paid attention more while I was in college. I mean, I've got like, I've got my college textbook still sitting here, but I mean, the commercial casualty class that they taught, um, all the different courses they taught on the commercial side of things, risk, a lot of the risk transfer type stuff on, they were really trying to groom you to go be a risk manager for Fortune 500 is really what the degree was, I think, so supposed to get you to do. Or um, a lot of students go work for like your locked-ins and your aons of the world afterwards and some sort of account management type role uh, is what they were really grooming for you. So more so anything when I was in that underwriting role, I learned that uh, if you're learning other stuff, pay attention to it because you're going to eventually one day need to use that information. Uh, You know what I learned? I learned there's a lot of people that don't have any problem at all signing the back of a paycheck, but you got to go get your rear end kicked on the street. And learn it for yourself if you want to be the one to sign the front of a paycheck. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I've I've had uh, I had a very large trucking company that I wrote, and it was like twenty five thousand dollars annual revenue, everything else of that nature. I mean, it was very disproportionate to the rest of my book at the time. And they wouldn't. They actually got canceled midterm for material misrepresentation. So I got like a thirteen thousand dollar chargeback one month. I owed them. I'm like freaking out because I. My wife was literally going back, quitting her job to go back to school this very month, or she'd started school like two months or two weeks prior. This cancellation goes through. I'm getting a charge back on it of like 13 grand. So that's not even, it wasn't even a cover that month's um, deposit from the agency. And I'm like, great, I owe them money. Wife's not working. We saved a bunch before she went back or whatever. It was probably the scariest worst day I've had in the business. And then I got home and she's like, hey, it's fine. That's why we saved for the last three years, knowing I was going back to school. Let's like, part. Okay. Let's party. All right. <laughs> and, 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 so, and honestly, it also taught me, hey, I don't rely on this one account. Like if you're going to write big commercial, you need to go write a lot more. And uh, even one of the things I'm working on right now is I was going through 
Um, until I get somebody in the office, I'm still trying to write a little bit of personal lines because it just kind of keeps that cash flow coming in for us. It, it does take me away from what I really want to write in that 10 or say five to $20,000 revenue range is what I'm really going after. But writing mm-hmm. personal lines just kind of keeps the lights on, keeps that cash flow coming in to help if one of those these clients does cancel on me, I at least have some fallback there um, is what I'm learning. Yeah. You know, um, what I learned very, very early on in it's because I got burnt similarly is how much I really don't like having to deal with ENS business with minimum earned premiums and all of that stuff. Um, it only takes one charge back to learn that lesson. You know, it's, and it's crazy, man. I, I, I got hit hard. Um, for that same I think, reason. Need, I think everybody kind of needs to have that one because I think it helps you understand what you're doing in the business. And I don't, I've got a handful of small trucking accounts that I do write still to this day or whatever else, but it's not what I'm going after, not what I want to write. But I, I was in an office and there was literally this startup trucking company was down the hall from me. And they came to me one day with their deck page, like, hey, see what you can do. And then all of a sudden they just took off and just grew. And then and they ended up getting material misrepresentation because they were, uh, I think they were struggling financially and um, they removed two vehicles from the policy. Telling me that, Hey, these guys are no longer driving for us. We don't have the vehicles anymore, but they were, Oh, there was a DOT inspection down in Florida or whatever else. And the license plate on the trailer matched the license plate registered to the carrier. Mm. And so it's just like, yep. Can't, can't hide this one. And, uh, no, I mean, and that's a heavily regulated industry anyhow. I mean, I wouldn't – I'm sure there's plenty of shady truckers out there just like there are shady contractors, right? But Oh, 100%. I just – I can't imagine trying to pull something over on such a heavy, heavily regulated industry. It, it's just nuts. You could get pulled over at literally any time. For any right. – hell, you got to go through a way station and they will do a quick inspection damn near every time you go to the way station. But it's <laughs> – it's it's absolutely crazy. I, that's one business I'm I'm happy I'm not having more in it because I mean the the premiums in that that class are just going insane on that commercial auto and there's only a handful of people riding that trucking stuff right now. It's like who is going to? I'm not going to say everybody's going to misrepresent on something, but a, 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 a trucker is going to take likely take the lowest premium offered to him and not second guess whether or not the agent fully put the right stuff onto a, onto a policy. Right. It, right. It's just an unscrupulous business. And it's uh, cause I'll get progressive quotes back from people that I've quoted on trucking. And I'm like, Hey, I already ran you with progressive. I'm like four grand more a year. And there, there's some things you can do within it that are completely legal, but it's just like your garaging address is completely wrong. Cause a lot of our trucking companies are based out of like downtown St. Louis and like, north side or whatever which is a big industrial area but it's also a high crime area and so those guys will then try having their garaging address out from where i'm from 45 miles west of downtown in nice suburban area to where the cost completely changes but it's like your your registration shows that your truck is stored here like you you have to have it here and that's usually what i find is a lot of people are just trying to uh get the best of both worlds be close to the warehouses to pick their loads up, but they want the garaging address out where they're going to get the best rate. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It, um, it's, it's tough, you know, because you never know when people are being completely honest with you or not. Obviously you can't sit there and call them out. 
No. But, uh, you know, you get burnt a couple of times. You, you learn pretty quick and you learn what to stay away from. I'm interested in, I know Kyle asked you what you learned, um, you know, going through the, the various roles that you had prior. But I, I'm interested in what you use today that you took from that experience. Like, how does how does that experience help you doing what you're doing today, knowing that it's not a direct translation? Um, I, I would say, I mean, I'd start with over at the um, manufacturer that I work for or whatever else. It, it, it showed me kind of how to communicate with my clients. And there's a local contractor that I'm, I know well here that's built a very large business. And I've noticed, and it's when people try to skimp on stuff with me, you're like, oh my gosh, that work comp premium so high in these like carpentry class codes and different things of that nature. Like I can't afford this or whatever else. Um, I don't have the money for it. It's like, well, the biggest guy in town, he started with two people. The biggest manufacturer in town started with a couple hundred people and they grew even more because they did stuff the right way from the beginning. They, they took it on the chin for a while on what they were paying, but now the biggest drywall company in St. Louis guy's got like a 0.48 mod just went over a million out. I don't write the account. I know the guy very well. A uh, good friend of his actually is the one who writes the account. You need um, us to uh, fly up there and take him out. <laughs> the friend. Yeah. I think the friend's retiring here in a couple of years. So we'll be able to go after they got like a 0.48 mod. 0.48 is strong. Yeah. But they just went over a million hours of no uh, injuries in a drywall classification. Like, incredible but they hope, let's hope those occupational disease claims from the dust don't come in you know a couple of years down the road or that's gonna why would you even say something like that yeah it's it's not alex's client it, true could be in a couple of years though uh well then the premium will be higher and you'll be thanking me for the increase in commissions well thank you <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. is, that your, is that your version of like a rain dance yeah just watch <laughs> My voodoo magic that I work for my desk here. <laughs> I guess it went back to what I learned that like, Hey, like these people have done it right. And so that's why I'm telling so because a lot of his employees or other people from some of these other beer, they're like, Oh, I can go start my own drywall contractor. Well, their premiums, like their cost per 100 is like double or triple because they have, there's only two or three carriers who are going to write that class for a non-established business. They have no mod. So no, and nobody wants to offer them credit on their account. And so the, they're taking it on the chin for a while. And um, my guys, if you do it, if you do it the right way, I promise you in a couple of years, it, it's going to come around. And I've got two accounts right now that one saw his work comp premium get cut in half last year because he's done it right the last two years. And now another carrier offered him like, Hey, we'll take you on with a much lower rate. And now he's reaping the benefits. He's like, that's an extra $50,000 a year in my pocket. That there you go. I was already getting the work to begin with. Like I, I've now created an extra 50 grand and you can go buy vehicles, things of that nature. And it's that slow build. And so it's, I, I learned a lot from these companies that have done things the right way and built these great cultures that if you build the culture and you once again, don't skimp on your accounting, don't try hiding things from the insurance carriers, everything's going to work out for you better in the end. If you want to be that big business, and even if you want to stay a small business, it's going to work out better for you. Um, I tell people all the time, man, don't waste, you know, don't, don't skimp money on legal accounting or insurance. Those are the three core functions of your business for all practical right. purposes, you know, and, and, and it's funny cause that's where a lot of people try to, it's where they money. try and skip. It's where they try and skim the money from it. And the thing is, look, 
you might pay $500 an hour for the best attorney in town or a really good attorney in town. And it's going to hurt. But if you were to go get the $200 attorney, you're going to end up spending way more money because they can't fix the problem that you have the way that the $500 an hour attorney can. Mm -hmm. That person gets 500 an hour because they get results. And it's, it's funny we're even talking about this because I just I, – I do my content every morning. First thing I do when I come in is I shoot my videos. I did, I did three of them this morning, and the, the one video that I did this morning is why are you hiding your commissions from your clients? Because I was in an, a forum last night. I saw it. Josh, somebody, great comment. Yeah, somebody's in there complaining about it. And it was funny because that, the first thing is, listen, people, listen to what I'm saying right now. Stop, you know, put the put the gum down. You don't need to take your piece of gum out of your ashtray yet and start chewing it. Let's let's listen to David. Number one, I love talking to people about how much I get paid. I want them to understand that I earn that, and I know that I earn that, and there's no doubt that I earn that. So why would I not tell them what they're paying me? I mean, that's just ridiculous. And you see all of these creatures of the night come out of the shadows that are apparently all commissions hiders and are saying, oh, no, don't tell them. They're going to want a piece of the action. They're going to want this. They're going to want that. The one person that made a comment in there, aside from Josh, that, that I respected is actually somebody who made a comment similar to something that I say or have said in the past when people ask me about my commissions. And that is we get a portion of 10 to 15% of what we write, right? We don't get, I mean, as the agency, you would get the whole 15, but as the producer, you don't. If you have a really good server in a restaurant, what do you tip them? 20, 25, easily 25%. Exactly. And all they're doing is keeping your beer full and cold and the bottomless fries full. Like this is somebody who's managing the protection of your most important asset and you're going to nickel and dime them to get them less of a percentage of the sale than what the average server makes. Look, I'm not throwing off on servers. I have all the respect in the world for them, but I don't want a server coming in and structuring my risk management plan any more than you want me putting on a Hooters uniform and giving you wings and bottomless beers. It's just not going to happen. And it, you guys can that's laugh out loud. It's fine. I'm too damn hard right now. That's just not something I needed to visualize on a it, Friday afternoon, bro. It, you'll have it. You'll have it within a week. Peering from behind the palms on the side of my pool, <laughs> like the Florida skunk ape in a Hooters uniform. It's coming. Uh, oh my god! But I mean, it's it's ridiculous to me. And so you know, I've really been thinking about this, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to ruffle a few feathers and put some content out around disclosing commissions and around fee versus commissions and some other things. So I had some pretty decent ideas and and put some good content out this morning. My number one reaction, if you don't want to tell somebody what you make that is paying you, like if you don't want your client to know what you're getting paid to represent them, you probably aren't delivering any kind of service or value to them. Because if you were, you wouldn't have any problem telling them. You'd be proud of what you do for them and what you earn for doing it. If you don't, if you think that they are going to hear that number and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm paying you that much, then you need to do more. (laughs) Well, I'm thinking, okay, maybe a commercial property type thing where you're just writing a bunch of LROs or whatever else and you make $30,000 because somebody's got 
200 grand in annual premium, that guy might be wondering why, why you're making 30 grand for just entering in some property quotes. Are you helping him with contract mitigation, things of that nature? Um, so it makes sense there, but on some of these contractors and things of that nature, they'd probably be shocked at how little we make sometimes on their account. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the whole thing in, in, that's what I challenged people in, in the, the video and blog that's coming out is think about your con- your compensation and how you want, how you want it. Like I prefer to work on a service fee. I don't want the commission because if I have commission, I'm tying my compensation to the sale of a product. If I have a service fee, I'm tying my compensation to being a trusted advisor and a problem solver. I'd much rather do that. What's that? And your ability to perform. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and you know my shtick, right? I can offer two different options, a flat fee or one with some gain share in it. But it, it just, it cracks me up. And the other thing is as an agency owner, I'm, I like the service fee because I can plan my cash flow. If I want to bill them monthly, I can bill them monthly. If I want to bill them quarterly, I can bill them quarterly. And I'm not having to wait on that delay that's created when money has to flow through a carrier and then subsequently come back out to you. But, you know, the other thing is we gripe and we moan about wanting to be treated as a trusted advisor, like a doctor, not a doctor, but like an attorney, like a CPA, yeah, for a doctor for that matter. Those guys don't work on commission. None of them do. So oh, if you want to be, they'll nickel and dime your ass for every hour too. It's yeah. like you were, we spent six minutes on the phone. I'm going to go ahead and put that down as one tenth of an hour. And here's your $25 bill. Yeah, no kidding. And and the thing is, if you, if we want to be treated like them, here's a newsflash industry, start acting like them. It's not difficult. If you want to be treated like them, Give the kind of advice they give relative to your occupation, not theirs. Bill the way they bill. I mean, it's not rocket science to figure out how it works. It's not an easy conversation to have initially because most people have to have a mind shift in order to make that work. But at the end, end of the day, if you have that conversation and you're dealing with an astute buyer, they would prefer to pay you a fee. Now you can go in and anything that you recommend to that prospect or that client is taken at a much more serious level because they're not second guessing if you're trying to sell them something so that you can make more money. It's something that they really need. The other thing is, and I don't think that a lot of people think through this because I know in the middle market, not many places even offer fee for service as a model, but I talk about this in the, in the post that I'm going to release and that will have come out before this this podcast does but if you think about it this way say i go into an account that's got a seven hundred thousand dollar um has seven hundred thousand dollars in premium and has horrible losses and that's why the rate is where it is and i decide you know what i'm not going to pile on you're already paying more than you need to be paying for insurance because of loss performance i'm going to bill you out at 50 grand a year here's what you're going to get for it which is much less than 15% or even 10% for that matter, right? But if I go in and I do the things that I need to do to get that account cleaned up and that premium subsequently drops when the person's now paying 350,000 in premium, I've got a baseline established that my fee is 50 grand. And I can go in and I can make the argument that look, we've cut your premiums in half. My fee really needs to be 70 or 75 going forward. You've taken the chance to prove yourself 
but then you do prove yourself, what are they going to do? Say, no, you just saved them $350,000. You're not even asking for 10% of what you saved them. And so you actually make more money when the, the, the account is performing the way that it should. And it's not a difficult uh, conversation to have with your client because that's how the compensation model should be. We shouldn't have agents out there doing nothing, letting experience mods blow up, have the premiums go through the roof, and then they get a raise because they didn't do anything. Get yourself a focus on driving premiums down, drive losses down, and build a compensation model for yourself that's going to allow you to make more money when that client pays less. Novel concept, people. (laughs) And that's why I like to do it. I understand that I'm taking a little bit of a haircut on the front end, but I'm buying loyalty from that client or that prospect. They're realizing, and I explained to them, look, I should be making X amount of dollars in revenue, but I understand that you're going through this and I'm willing to contribute to that. My service fee is going to be this, which will save you some money and some pain. When we get things down, then we're going to talk about how I get a raise. Address it on the front end. Like, right. I don't. I think I don't, that's. I think that's the important part in it is is doing it on the front end, setting those expectations early in the in the process. Look, Kyle and I had an account. It look, it, it can be negotiated too. But we had an account where we projected what we were going to save them in terms of going back and recovering money from from a botched audit. It wasn't actually, it wasn't even a botched audit. It was a, it was a non-participatory audit because they had horrible representation who told them that they were growing at such a rate, they should just go ahead and ignore the audit because the penalty for non-compliance would be less than the actual audit itself because they would have ended up paying triple. And we ran the numbers and I'm like, that's just not true. This person got a massive raise and you paid way more premium than you should. We'll engage with you and we'll get money back, but we're going to request that since we don't handle the coverage now and we're not getting paid anything, we'll just split any found money with you 50 50. Mm-hmm. You know, well, they came back and said, We're not interested in 50 50. We'll let you have 30% and we'll take 70. I'm like, All right, I'm good with that. Whatever. Right. Well, guess what? They didn't realize exactly how much was on the table and we basically recovered almost 1.3 million for that. So we we were billing out at 30% of 1.3 million for what was amount what amounted to roughly 2 to 3 hours of my time. Right. You know, but at the same time, we negotiated the deal. They're the ones who named that price and the fact of the matter is they still got like $800,000 they didn't have before we did that work. So why should they care that we got 400? They shouldn't. Right. It's kind of like an attorney with uh, <laughs> once again look what attorneys will take. They've, Hey, I can get you $100,000 from this car accident. Well, they're going to take 30, 40% of it anyway. Right, right. But I, I don't think agents think- giving them that money. Yeah, I don't think, and this is the difference, again, going into the mindset of being an insurance salesperson versus being a trusted advisor or a risk manager or whatever you want to brand yourself. If you're not going to, if you're going to shift the way you think and you're going to move into middle market and you're going to try and change the way you're perceived and the way the industry does business, you have to figure out creative ways to structure your compensation. I'm not saying you give away the farm, but if you can, the the further you can separate yourself from commission, the higher you're going to close, ultimately, the more money you're going to make. 
and you're going to re- your your retention is going to be through the roof because your competitors aren't thinking that way. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, my favorite deal is to go in with somebody who's with a, a super regional or a national brokerage, and they're taking commissions on accounts, and I know that I can fee it. And I can fee it for less than what the commissions are because it's not going to require a bunch of heavy lifting on our end. And then I'll just ride that out. And as the premium drops, I'll talk about what kind of an increase I get in my fee for helping get the premiums down. And that's the whole thing. You're bringing down premiums by tens of thousands of dollars, but they're only paying you a small percentage of what that would be in terms of flat dollars on a fee. I don't know, man. Works for me. Work sounds like it works great. I, I haven't got to the compl- completely into the feed. I, I feed a few accounts on just on me and S stuff. Where it's just well, like, and you you I, probably I, have to be careful too because I do. I don't know that you have the ability to make those decisions directly, right? Because you start getting into service feeing accounts and netting out fees. And I'm, I'm giving this is almost like advice to you as opposed to the podcast at this point. But um, if you get into that, you really need to make sure you're talking to the people you know, upstairs about it because it'll affect when you bring the premium down, that affects their ability to hit their contingencies and all of the other things. And some people don't like that. Makes perfect sense. Definitely. So the consider, I know from at least on our end, one like if we do, if we fee an S type business or whatever else, just cause we know it's going to be high service, whatever else we, we still run the fee through. We, we run the fee through the agent. We bill it into the system to where it's known that, Hey, we just charged a $500 fee for, this person's account um, and then they still get their split and everything else of that nature. Yeah. What I've been successful doing is I've actually gone to the carrier and gotten the carrier to give me the credit on my production as if I wrote it with the commission in, but bill it without the commission out. So I got the best of both worlds. Yeah. Cause they didn't have to pay you. Right. So, I mean, makes sense on both ends. Why it helps with volume. Yeah. It helps with volume commitments and it helps with making sure you hit your contingency numbers. Cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of ways we can think about stuff. Um, I, I think piece of advice I would give people is we're talking about attorneys and accountants and whatnot, especially all of us in the insurance space. We should all have good relationships with our attorney and our accountant. I mean, I went and drank beers with mine last week. It, it's something that we were doing on a monthly basis prior of just a kind of get an idea what's going on in their industries as well. But you have that good relationship to where, I can pick up the phone and call my accountant. I can pick up the phone and call my attorney and ask him a question about my stuff. But I'm also sending them a little bit of business as well. And we all work in conjunction. We uh, Today, we closed we're closed on a veterinary clinic today. Three of us are all in on the deal because we've made, we've made it easy on the person. The attorney gets paid this year on the transactional cost. The accountant's going to get paid annually for managing the stuff. And we'll get paid annually. Then we'll go find more people who are selling clinics and different things of that nature and just kind of keeping it going. But it, uh, it, it helps with keeping our businesses in line. It helps with them, giving them ideas of what we see going on in our marketplace. And like, Hey, these for my accountant, I'm like, Hey, what, what does their work comp cost look like in relation to the revenue on the business or in relation to payroll? If it's over a certain percentage or it looks like this like tell them they need to sit down with me and he's been able to send some stuff over as well look at i'll tell you right now man if you want to make an accountant look like a superstar offer to do a mod analysis for everybody in that that accountant's book of business say look we're finding x percentage of dollars for all these people if you want some found money for your book 65 percent of these mods are wrong when they come out i'm not going to pressure them into selling as a courtesy to you i i will happily review these on a complimentary basis 
and present the findings. And if they choose to do business with me, that's great. If not, I'm doing it as a service to you for your clients. Watch how much of that you close. You'll close a huge amount of that. We do that for the attorney. He offers a, um, he'll do a quick contract review, but he'll ask you for documents that you were talking the other day about buy sell agreements um, on the podcast I just released the other day with the life insurance guy. One of the things that he'll ask these people is like, hey, what about your buy sell agreement? Most of them don't have that in place. So he's doing a free review, but on the 10 list of 10 documents or stuff that he needs, they can't even produce half of them. And it's then, okay, why do I need these documents? And he's able to explain it. And it ends up tying back into the insurance policy a lot of times too, of you need these documents to be compliant with your insurance policy. And uh, so I I think those are two great places to have good relationships with people. And uh, you can all share plenty of business and uh, do right by people. And uh, I think offering free analysis, if you, as you've mentioned, I, th- I think so many people are afraid to do a little bit of free work and think they're like, oh, this person's just going to use me. I think you frame it right up front. They're going to be appreciative of it. And it's, you know what, I'm doing a favor to my accountant. And if I land and close a couple of those pieces of business, that's stuff I've never even gotten, would have gotten in front of before anyway. I look at it this way. Number one, if you offer to do it for free with no strings attached and you get pissed off because you didn't get any accounts out of it, then your heart wasn't in the right place when you started. You, you said you were going to do it free with no strings attached. That's the mindset you need to have. Anything else is a bonus. The other piece of it is if you don't, if you do go into it with the right mindset of free with no strings attached and you don't get any business out of it, guess what? You just don't know how to present. I'm sorry. That's your problem. You didn't present that in a compelling, compelling in enough way that this person could come to their own conclusion they needed to buy from you. I don't need, look, dude, when you go do a mod analysis, that is not a sales process. That is talking about mathematics to a business owner. That's it. I don't have to sell it. It sells itself. All I'm doing is making sure they understand the math and how it turns into negative dollars on their financial statement. I don't even have to ask for the order. I just simply lay it out and say, here's what, here's what Johnny Walker cost you for, uh, you know, his leg injury. And, you know, now that he's back to work, finally, maybe we can figure out how to keep this from happening again. But unfortunately, over the next three years, you're going to pay $70,000 out of pocket because you didn't have controls in place. You know, we ran into this with one of our clients and we were able to give them, you know, the appropriate measures to train their team and have accountability measures in place so that they didn't have anything like this happen going forward. I hope that you're able to do something similar. I'm not going to ask them for the business. You don't have to. If you ask questions the right way, they will come to that decision on their own. I mean, Kyle, how many times you've been in how many appointments with me? Can you think of a single one? Like where Two or three. <laughs> can you, can you think of a single one where it was a hard close? No, you don't even, yeah, you don't even ask. It's just like you said, they come to the conclusion on their own because everything in front of them makes sense. They're like, okay, okay. So how, how do we, how do we hire you? How do we, how do we move forward? Right. And that's it. That's done. I mean, there's been probably a half dozen times in my entire career where I've had to dig my heels in and fight, but I'm at the point now where I'm, yeah. I'm not going to do that. If I have to, if I go for that long, listen, I had a guy, this is one of my all time favorites and we've been going about an hour. So we'll wrap up after this, but I have a guy that is an HVAC contractor. I represent an extremely large number of HVAC contractors in Tampa. Like I've got some of the biggest, if not the biggest in town that are in my book of business. And I went into one and his mod was a 1.8. And for, this was a third meeting that I was with him because it was one of my producers that originated it. 
On the third meeting, we went full-blown Modmaster. I laid out everything, showed him a hundred and some thousand dollars uh, that he could possibly recover because of errors, uh, not just that he was overspending due to the mod. And after an hour of going through that and never talking about insurance, this guy looks at me and says, I want you to give me the top five reasons why I should hire your firm. I lost my mind. And I don't do that very often in an appointment. I said, with all due respect, I just spent the last hour giving you 100,000 reasons why you should hire my firm. You're, you're kidding, right? And he said, no. He goes, I want to see how you answer the question. I want to know the top five reasons why I should hire your firm. I said, I'm going to give you one. I represent probably 40% of your competition, and that's market share as far as I'm concerned in Tampa. And those people are following our processes and doing the things they need to do, and they don't have 1.8 mods, so they have the ability to adjust their pricing down and capture more of your clients, and they're going to steal your employees because they can fund the benefits program because they're not pissing away their money on workers' comp. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> he, said, well, he said, well, that, that's a good reason. <laughs> That's only one. Now you got to give me four more. Yeah, no, I didn't give him four more. And so, you know, we didn't, we haven't closed it yet. It comes up in another six weeks, but um, we'll see what happens. But I just, I don't do well with that, man. You know, it's ridiculous. Some of these, some of the times you get out there and it goes back to what I've said time and time again, you just got to know when to walk away, man. You got, you know, I probably should have just got up, slapped my folio and said, I'm not giving you anything else. I gave you an hour of my time and it's the last hour you're going to get. Have a great day. And that's it. But you know what I did? I let revenue and premium cloud my head because it's probably 600, 700,000 in premium all in. So I didn't do that. Instead, I just got pissed off in the middle of the meeting and basically screamed at him about his competition and his lack of pricing controls. And we'll see what happens. But, you know, you can't, again, it goes back to, what what did I miss, right? What did not what what didn't I articulate when I was talking that led him to ask that stupid question? Right, he probably had it in his head the whole time that he was gonna ask. Yeah, I can't it, wait till it. he's done so I can yeah. ask him for five reasons. <laughs> hey guys, help me think of four more. I can only come up with one. But is also, is that also a failure of our industry once again? To, yeah, it's what he's been trained. It, it's yeah. rated every single year and everything else. And yeah, you some days you're going to have to win on rate, but if you can also offer extreme value to somebody, like it, it's it's game changer. It's, Correct. It's it's crazy, but it is it's crazy. It is crazy. Well, listen, man, we're going to wrap up. It's a beautiful weekend weather wise here, at least until the tropical storms hit. Yeah, it's it's nice out right now. I'd like to go hit that hit that yard one time and get it cut. And then I, are we going to be able to play, do the same thing? Are we going to be able to play golf in the morning or not? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we can, we can talk about that. There's been some developments. Oh, okay. Some developments. Can't wait to hear them. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Alex, tell them where to find you. If they want to talk to you, man, I'm sure that there are plenty of people. I mean, you like to drink beer. You like to hang out with attorneys and accountants. Uh, you know, I got to tell you though, I don't know that I've ever seen this view. Whenever you talk to me, you must be at home in your like home I'm office in my, area. In my tiny little L. It's not a home office. We're in this. COVID's been a killer. We moved into. My wife is in nurse and ethicist school, and when she did, we were living about forty-five miles outside of St. Louis proper. When she got into school, we decided to sell that house and move her pretty move close to where the school is, and puts me pretty close to the office as well. 
also puts you pretty close to a college campus. Put me. It's a you, tiny. It's a tiny. You, you've been known to hang out there once or twice after you oh, graduated. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, actually, put me close to ballpark. Everything else, good, good spot. So, the way the real estate market's been, we were wanting to buy a condo or buy a house near the where she's going to school, and couldn't find anything. Finally, find this condo to rent. Little seven hundred twenty square foot, one bedroom condo one bed one bath we, we came from a 1500 square foot brand new home into this 70 year old condo well it's all fine and dandy because i'm always going to be working and she's always going to be doing school stuff or be at the hospital doing clinical work well then all of a sudden COVID hits and i'm working from home and she was out of clinicals for seven weeks and it's like we were getting ready to murder each other it was like yeah you, you can't be in this little box not a, not enough space for that david mm-hmm. how terrible the lighting is inside of that place as well and uh well my whole point in bringing that up was i am beyond disappointed that you don't have an ozzy smith or a brett hall jersey somewhere on that back wall you know i need to uh i need to get that i actually still yeah i still have stuff that i gotta hang up in this office i got uh alabama gulf coast like for uh down in orange beach gulf shores area probably favorite place to vacation and i got a huge picture of bush stadium back there um I do have those guys up there, too. Good. Okay, yeah. I'll give you credit for that. So, no, tell I, them, how, tell yeah. them how to find you, man, and then I'm gonna let uh, you go. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, just Alex Toller, or uh, you can shoot me an email, AP Toller at Toller's with one L um, at DeWittins.com. And uh, my, I'll give my phone number 314 527 2522. I got to tell you, man, every time I type in AP Toller, I feel like I'm emailing an assistant principal and it's not a good feeling in the pit of my stomach. <laughs> I may or may not have had a run in with an assistant principal or two back in the day. I'm sure Shut Kyle, up. I'm sure Kyle never did. No, People got in trouble at school, right? A hundred percent of the time you had to learn how to sell your way out of trouble, man. Absolutely. Well, listen, Alex, thanks for coming on, man. It's been great talking to you. Love hearing the experience. I know you're doing good things. I'm proud to be a part of it and can't wait to watch you just continue to build on the success you already have. Hope you have a great weekend and we will catch you soon. You guys, we'll see you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>